Good morning, NFL fans. Welcome to another edition of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Coming at you a day late this week. I apologize for that. We will get to that a little bit later in the show. I'll explain uh, the reason why we didn't come out uh, come out on Monday this week, but a, a day later. Hopefully it doesn't affect your schedule too much. Uh, my schedule very busy over the weekend. Uh, but uh, we're here we, are, we will be here every week, I promise, just maybe not on Monday every single week, depending on how busy I get over the weekends. Uh, we have an action-packed show today. Our leading story, what else would it be? Colts beating the Denver Broncos on Sunday Night Football. That was a big storyline, and we're going to get into the discussion with Jim Ursay, the, the um, owner of the Indianapolis Colts coming out making a lot of news this, this past week with his comments about Peyton Manning and the teams that uh, the Indianapolis Colts teams that he led only winning one Super Bowl, basically what he was saying. So we'll, we'll discuss that and the win that the Colts got over the Broncos, giving them their first loss of the season. Then we're going to discuss the rivalry game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens with the Steelers edging them 19-16, to getting their second win of the year. And it's going to be a race in that NFC North. It looked like Pittsburgh might fall off the map. And Cleveland line in the weeds, and uh, maybe they would eventually trail off too, and it would be between Baltimore and Cincinnati. But it looks like it's going to be a three-team, maybe even a four-team race. That is, unless Cincinnati runs away with the whole thing, the Bengals sitting in first place at five and two. We'll discuss both of those in the first segment. In the second segment, we're going to talk New York, the Jets defeating the Patriots. Big controversial penalty at the end, but is it really that controversial? Did they get that rule right? I think so, and I'll give you many reasons why. It doesn't really matter if they got it right or not. Well, of course, it does matter, Um, but the Jets outplaying New England, it was kind of fitting that uh, New York won that game anyway. So we'll discuss that in the second segment, along with the Giants getting their first win. We don't normally talk Monday Night Football, but since we're coming out on Tuesday this week, we might as well. So the Giants getting their first win, an ugly win, but a win nonetheless over the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, they are now 1-6. and six. In the third segment, we'll move into our fourth and long segment, where we'll discuss a couple other major topics going on in the NFL. Now let's go to uh, the Colts and Broncos game. An exciting game, a little bit strange. I mean, there were a lot of strange things in the NFL this week. Really strange things in all three games that we're going to talk about, um, maybe minus the Giants, maybe besides the Giants winning. That was kind of strange. I'm sorry, Giants fans. Um, So the Colts um, defeated the Broncos 39 to 33. You th- you think that there were a lot of field goals in this game, and actually there were for the Colts, but the Broncos missing an extra point, so they really didn't actually well going for two and, and failing on the attempt, so they actually didn't really have as many um, uh, field goals as you might think with the uh, 33 points. But let, let's start with what started the, the whole controversy this past week with uh, the owner. Colts owner Jim Ursay's comments. It's stories like these where I wish that we had a show in the middle of the week, you know. And I didn't, 
I, uh, every every show that comes out during the season is Monday, and we only really discuss games. And, and yeah, we, did, we discuss some other s- storylines that have happened, but major storylines this this uh this year with Trent Richardson getting traded and now this thing with with Ursay's comments and um Josh Freeman getting picked up some of this stuff kind of falls through the cracks because it's old by the time it gets around to us but anyway I still think it's worth talking about this I went back and actually read the original article that USA Today posted and it's online if you want to check it out um you might have some trouble finding it but it's dated uh, October 15th, and the headline is Colts Jim Ursay, colon, no regrets releasing Peyton Manning. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty long story, and um, some of it has now been proven to be maybe factually incorrect, or at least not factually incorrect that it was bad reporting by USA Today, but actually Jim Ursay's story to be factually incorrect. Um, and but towards the middle of it, actually towards the bottom, is what really st- stirred the pot this this past week, where um, Ursay starts talking about Tom Brady. Tom Brady never had consistent numbers, but he has three of these. Ursay adds, and he's referring to Super Bowl rings. Pittsburgh has two. The Giants had two. Baltimore had two, and we had one. That leaves you frustrated. You make the playoffs eleven times, and you're out in the first round seven of the eleven times. You love to have the Star Wars numbers from Peyton and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. Mostly you love this. And he flicks at his right hand again, indicating his Super Bowl ring. So, and I'm doing the same thing that most of the media have done all week in pulling out the, the part, the, the bad part of the story. Um, but there's lots of parts where Ursay w- was praising uh, Peyton Manning. And if you really look at the story as a whole... That little three-paragraph quote is probably um, more of a dig at general manager Bill Polian or or even head coach Tony Dungy, not Peyton Manning. I think Ursay, as he goes on to talk about how they want to build a complete team and um, win the Super Bowl as a complete team and not just have one quarterback, I'm sure Ursay remembers back to that 2011 team where they didn't have Peyton Manning and everything completely fell, fell apart. You built your team around one player, and without him, you were done. You had a 2-14 and 14 team. Even the defense, which was good at times with pass rushers like Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney, they made their living off of the Colts having a lead and just bull rushing um, their their, uh, the, the offensive line and going after the quarterback who's in a passing situation about 75% or 80% of the time because they're behind because Peyton Manning has scored so many times. That is where the Colts built their team, and Ursay didn't want to do that again. And, you've, and he fired everybody. He fired uh, General Manager Bill Polian, who's now with ESPN. He, um, well, Tony Dungy was long gone. He fired the, the head coach at that point, Jim Caldwell, to bring in a defensive-minded coach, Chuck Pagano. So I think... In many ways, Ursay is a smart guy. He's a smarter owner than a lot of owners out there in realizing that they have to build a complete team. And, of course, releasing Peyton Manning, as painful as it was, was a good decision. But what I want to say about Ursay's comments and what some people, or I don't think anyone has really said at all this past week, why is he making those comments? I hate it when owners get in the news. 
And like Chris Collinsworth during the game and others were talking about how uh, Ursay just happened to find himself in the limelight this past week or, or in the headlines. No, I think Ursay seeks this out and he tries to get into the spotlight. And I think that's wrong as an owner. Think about it. I think Ur- now Ursay is probably a household, household name now in at least if you have an NFL household. And think about the owners that you know. I want, I want my listeners to think about the owners that you can name in the NFL. Besides your team, which if you're a good fan, you'd know the name of your owner. But do you know any owner's name that doesn't seek the limelight, that doesn't seek the spotlight? Okay, I know Jerry Jones, Jim Irsay, Dan Snyder. That's about it. You know, maybe maybe a couple others because I'm I, I follow the NFL really closely, like uh, the Brown family for the Bengals. That's an easy one. Um, that's that's really it. That's all that I can really think about on the top of my head. I can't even remember the Giants. I live in the New York area. I I can't think of the Gi- I know it's a famous family, but I can't think of them right now. And the Jets family, uh, Woody Johnson is the the owner. So, but again, I live in the area. Um, I can't think of any others. And probably Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft is the one that I would say doesn't seek the limelight that you would probably know because he's done a lot of good things for the NFL and actually helped prevent that lockout from missing any games a few seasons ago. So um, maybe a Robert Kraft, although I I have argued that Robert Kraft did say some unnecessary comments about the NFL having a London team. I I know... uh, not sure when that was, probably over the summer, um, but I definitely talked about that on the show. Uh, the only other one that is probably a, a famous owner are the Roonies with the Steelers, but maybe you could argue the new Art Rooney, Art Rooney uh, 3, somewhat got himself in the limelight when he fired Bruce Arians, or Bruce Arians quote-unquote retired and then went to Indianapolis to coach. Uh, the, the Steelers fired him. Uh, and it was that was really an owner's decision, not a Mike Tomlin, not a GM decision. So uh, Art Rooney really stepping in when he shouldn't have uh, in that case. Um, so those are the owners that I know. And I, I'm a pretty good NFL fan. I follow very closely, and those are the owners that I know. And not really, besides I think Kraft and the Rooneys, the others are... I guess you could say Ursay's a good owner. I just argue that he's made a lot of great decisions lately. But those guys are looking for headlines. They they think they deserve as much credit and as much attention as the players and the coaches do. And I just think that's wrong. That's what I wanted to bring up about Ursay. Um, not disagreeing with really anything that he said. I, I agree that it's a shame that Manning has, and, and the Colts only won once. Um, when we look back at this era after Brady and Manning have retired – assuming that neither one of them win again, which quite possibly they could, both of them win again, um, we'll, we'll have a really long, drawn-out discussion about who was better. But at this point, I think, yeah, you have to look back at the Manning era, and especially if he doesn't win one now with, with Denver, you have to look back and say, man, he really missed a lot of opportunities to, to, win, to win Super Bowls. So uh, let's get to the game now. I've discussed enough of this. 
the Colts, I want to give them all the credit in this one. They really outplayed the Denver Broncos. They slowed down an offense that was setting records. I know they ended up scoring 30 points in the game. So uh, if you look at the final score, it's like actually 33 points. Sorry. Um, you actually think that, oh, it was a pretty close game and that Manning played well. I mean, look at Manning's numbers. He was 29 of 49. Uh, 386 yards and three touchdowns. So a pretty overall statistical good game. But there were a lot of passes that were fluttered by Manning. The passes were broken up that hadn't been broken up earlier this season. Uh, He was sacked four times. The Colts, all they did was play man-to-man coverage. And Manning knew that. Peyton knew that when they got to the line of scrimmage, the Colts made it very evident they were going to come after Peyton with the pass rush, play too deep, uh, safeties, and they had man-to-man coverage across the board. They were very physical with those wide receivers of the ra- of uh, 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 of the Broncos, which I think you, you have to do if you're going to beat this team. And they were m- m- more dominant on the line of scrimmage and got to Peyton Manning a few times. And they got an interception, which was costly in the fourth quarter, and they got a sack fumble. Robert Mathis sacked Manning twice, and one of them leading to a fumble, which was recovered, well, actually recovered out of bounds, which was a safety. So that created points for uh, Indianapolis. And actually, it worked out that it wasn't recovered for a touchdown because they got the two points for a safety. The Broncos punted to the Colts, and they drove down and got another touchdown. So essentially, that sack fumble was a nine-point play. You could look at it in that way. So I think you got to give a lot of credit to the Colts. They're now 5-2. and two. The Broncos fallen and are 6-1. and one. They're in second place Believe it or not, it's 6-1 and one in the AFC West. I think a lot of people are still doubting the Kansas City Chiefs, even though they're 7-0. We'll get to them later in the show. But an extremely great game from the Colts. And Andrew Luck, got to mention his stats lines. 21 of 38, 228 yards. He was sacked twice, but he had three touchdowns, and he rushed for another touchdown. He rushed for uh, uh, 29 yards in this game on four attempts. Long of 11, and of course the touchdown run. So, Luck, maybe Ursay was smart and wanted to get the attention away from Peyton Manning versus Andrew Luck and said some things in the media to get the attention on him. It was him versus Peyton Manning rather than Andrew Luck versus Peyton Manning. And Andrew Luck went about his business all week, didn't really have much media attention, and played really well in this game. Outplayed Peyton Manning, in my opinion, even though. Manning threw for 150 more yards than Luck did. So maybe Ursay's comments were strategically smart. I don't know. Uh, I would say no, but I guess you could argue that they were. Moving on to uh, the top 4 o'clock matchup, in my opinion, uh, a slightly watered-down version of this rivalry, but the Steelers and Ravens played on Sunday, and it was it was a really great game. Uh, it ended up being your typical Steelers-Ravens game, and uh, with the Steelers edging them at Heinz Field 19-16 to on a last-second Sean Sweezum field goal. Sweezum made four field goals in the game, so uh, he, he, he came through in a big way for the Steelers. Uh, the Ravens kicker, uh, Justin Tucker made three field goals as well. <laughs> Actually, this was another strange game. Uh, Tucker at one point went over to the trainer after uh, going for an onside kick in the fourth quarter uh, after scoring. The Ravens the Ravens went for an onside kick, and uh, Tucker got 
nailed in the helmet trying to recover the the, the onside kick. And I went over the trainer with, uh, I think his ear was bleeding. Uh, but it was just funny to see the kicker at the trainer and Dan Fouts, the announcer, was making jokes with Iron Eagle. It was quite, quite a funny moment, but that was quite strange. And um, the Steelers lined up in some Wildcat formations, which we haven't seen from them at all. It, obviously, we've seen the Wildcat, but we haven't seen that from from Pittsburgh and Todd Haley I think is really reaching deep into that playbook to try and create some stuff for this offense that hasn't exactly been stellar this season and I think what he's also trying to do is get the ball into Le'Veon Bell's hands as much as possible which why not finally Pittsburgh established a running game this season 19 rushes for for Bell 93 yards average just below five Roethlisberger scrambled for 25 yards on three attempts Felix Jones, not too bad on five carries, 16 yards. Jonathan Dwyer had a big pickup on a third down. He only had one carry, though. So overall, as a team, the Steelers rushed for 125 yards. Pretty solid from a team that was averaging 61 coming into the game. And I think if they can average close to over 100 or 125 like they did against the Ravens, they're going to be a lot better of a team. And I think that was part of their, well, it was a big part of the problem that they had in the first four games was that they couldn't run the ball at all. There were games where they're getting 30 yards on the ground. So Todd Haley is actually, I mean, he's known for that time with St. Uh, Louis. Think of the St. Louis Cardinals. With the Arizona Cardinals, when uh, they went to the Super Bowl and it was that pass attack with uh, Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald and Quan Bolden, well, Todd Haley actually loves to run the ball, and I know that he's he's from Pittsburgh, and the Steelers fans want to return to their roots. Look, they're never going to return to their roots completely, but Haley wants to establish a running game with this rookie, and he's a very talented player. He's trying to get the ball into his hands as much as possible, which is why we saw that Wildcat run a couple of times. Uh, so if he's able to do that, this offense and this team overall is much better. There's still some question marks I have for the Steelers, like they didn't force a turnover again in this game. But overall, Pittsburgh, I believe, outplayed Baltimore in this one. Really closely matched when you look at the statistics. 19 first downs for Baltimore, 17 for Pittsburgh, 287 total yards for Baltimore, 286 for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had the ball for 31 minutes, uh, Baltimore just under 29 minutes. Uh, t- total yards almost exactly identical. I think the the difference was Pittsburgh was able to run the ball, and on on defense, Pittsburgh stopped the run. They did a good job of holding Ray Rice and Bernard Pierce at bay. They actually much better than just at bay. The two combined for below three yards per rush. Now, Ray Rice really has been stalled most of the season. He had 45 rushing yards on 15 carries. Bernard Pierce just atrocious six. Rushes 13 yards, so overall below three yards per carry for for both teams. Flacco, I mean, he, he played a decent game. He completed 70% of his passes. I, I still think that a lot of his passes are just, you know, dink and dunk to to Ray Rice. Um, but 70% of his passes for 215 yards was sacked just one time and threw a touchdown, no picks. But it's just too much for Flacco to do. He can't carry this offense by himself, really. Most of the quarterbacks can't. You need to establish some kind of running game, and Pittsburgh was not able to do that, and they were able to establish their own running game. And um, at times, 
I don't want to say dominate, but at times really control this game, despite maybe what the stats would tell you that it's that it was pretty even. But overall, it was a great matchup between two uh, division teams, two rival, two rivals in the AFC North. I, I let off the fact that it was slightly watered down. I mean, the, this was the first game between Baltimore and Pittsburgh in years where there was no Ray Lewis, no James Harrison, and no Ed Reed. And, of course, they're also missing Heinz Ward, who d- retired at the end of the 2011 season, did not play last year in the two games. So, yes, I think as long as Roethlisberger and Flacco are there, this is going to be a rivalry. Uh, to me, when the rivalry really took off, was in 2008 when that was John Harbaugh's first year with the Ravens and Mike Tomlin was actually only in his second year. So these two guys are going to be there for a long time and be facing each other a lot. Uh, so as long as Tomlin and, and Harbaugh are there and especially if Roethlisberger and Flacco are there, this is going to be a big rivalry, a big game. But it was quite different with uh, no Ray Lewis, no Heinz Ward and uh, Harrison and Reed not there as well. So I guess, of course, Ray Lewis did not play in last year's game either. I just thought of that. Um, So we've seen no Ray Lewis and no Heinz Ward before in this game. Um, Just quickly, before we take a break, go over the implications of this win from Pittsburgh. There's still a lot of work to be done for the Steelers. Um, They're they're by no no means out of of the the weeds here. Uh, They have a tough... Two road games coming up. Actually, I think they have the next three games on the road um, with Oakland coming up, and they always struggle in Oakland, and, and then on the road at New England. So it wouldn't really surprise me if this team drops the next two and and is two and six, and then essentially out of the race. They they definitely need to win at least one of the next two games, and that would only put them at three and five. And with Cincinnati playing well, they're five and two. They could be running away with it, but the week. Conference in the AFC, I think, keeps both these teams alive. Really, it keeps Pittsburgh alive, even though they're two and four, and uh, Baltimore at three and four. We've seen three and four teams make the playoffs before, make make deep runs. So Baltimore's still alive, but they got to work on some things too. They got to get the ball into Ray Rice's hands, and they got to get him going somehow. I don't know how it is. I mean, he had one really big game two weeks ago uh, with a couple of touchdowns and over a hundred yards rushing, but. That needs to be the norm. You know, maybe not 100 yards every week, um, but he needs to score every week for this team to be successful. You can't just have it in Joe Flacco's hands. So it'll be interesting. Um, it really appears that one of those wild card spots are going to come out of the AFC West. I'd be really surprised if one of them didn't at this point. And uh, it, it, as of now, it really appears that the Bengals are going to win this division. So the big question mark, are we going to see no Pittsburgh and no Baltimore in the playoffs for the first time since, I don't even know, what, like 99? I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to think. The years the years Pittsburgh has not been in the playoffs, Baltimore has made it every year. I mean, Baltimore has made it every year since Flacco's been there, since 08. 2007, Pittsburgh won the division. 2006, Baltimore won the division. 2005, Pittsburgh won the Super Bowl. 2004, Pittsburgh won the division. 2003, Baltimore won the division. 2002, Pittsburgh won the division. 2001, Pittsburgh won the division. 2000, Baltimore won the Super Bowl. So we might have to go back to 99 since the last time both these teams missed the playoffs. But it's still early. There's still a chance. I know I'm pretty sure only one of them is going to make it if one of them do. 
Um, so we'll we'll see if if this could be the first year in at least 13 seasons where we don't see either Baltimore or Pittsburgh in the playoffs. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back with New York football coverage. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also find me on Facebook, Dave's Football News, and send me an email if you don't have either of those social media outlets, HolcombMDavid at gmail.com. Let's go into New York football. Let's talk about the Jets over the Patriots. Everybody wants to talk about the big penalty you know, at the end of the game. Cost New England the game. Look, New England got outplayed in this game. The Jets outplayed the Patriots. And we've seen that actually in the past where the Jets somewhat play evenly with the Patriots or even outplay them and uh, don't get the job done at the end of the game. And then New England ends up with the win. And, you know, uh, in times past, maybe um, New England deserved it. Um because they didn't make the big mistake at the end of the game or or um, whatever you want to say. But New York, I really think, deserved this win. And by no means should it be smeared or, or tarnished because of this penalty. I know New England fans are very unhappy with this, this call and uh, that it hasn't been called before. And what kind of rule is this? You can't push your player. And well, it's a new rule, and it's it's just been enacted this season, and uh, it's a rule. That's that's just the bottom line. Maybe it's a bad rule, but it's a rule. So uh, it was properly enforced. Um, it was the right call. And if you look at the stats, whether you look at the stats or if you watch this game, you can tell that the Jets played better than New England did on this day. Um, the despite bringing back Rob Gronkowski, and uh, he re- actually had a really good game for New England. Um, the Jets really got the game going, or got their offense going on the ground. 34 rushes from Chris Ivory, 104 yards. But as a team, the Jets had 177 yards on the ground, uh, so they got a bunch of different guys uh, involved. Didn't have very much production from below Powell, Powell which I think surprised some people in the fantasy realms. Um, only had six yards, three carries. Uh, Geno Smith ran for 32 yards. He had a rushing touchdown. Tommy Bohannon had six carries for 21 yards. Josh Cribbs, three rushes for 14 yards. So uh, they got rushing yards from all over, really, but majority of them from Chris Ivory. 177 as a team, again, dominated time of possession, 2-1, to one. I know there was some extra time because of the overtime, but 46 minutes of time of possession for the Jets, 23 for New England. Jets outgained the Patriots by almost 100 yards, 383 to 295. One turnover apiece, both interceptions, and both returned for touchdowns by the defense. I think you have to give the credit to the Jets' defense, where a lot of people this year you know, expected the Jets not to be good, and kind of expected the defense not to be good because they didn't think the Jets would be any good. This defense is legit. It's one of the best defenses in the AFC, probably one of the best in the 
entire league does a great job of stopping the run and in coverage has done a very good job as well and, and shut down for the most part the Patriots uh, passing game holding Tom Brady to under 50% completion percentage 228 yards he was sacked four times and he didn't throw a touchdown which means Tom Brady's streak of touchdown games games with a touchdown I should say oh oh yeah that streak is only at one and <laughs> The streak was broken. Sorry, little joke on Tom Brady. Uh, the the, the uh, streak was broken three weeks ago against Cincinnati, and of course uh, Brady threw a touchdown pass last week against the Saints. Had a chance to break the touchdown uh, record, a complete uh, consecutive games with a touchdown that is record last week, but the streak was snapped the week prior, and uh, he's going to have to start another streak because it was broken again um, against the Jets. So I got to give the credit to the defense of uh, the New York Jets. Rob Gronkowski did go off. He had 17 targets, 8 catches, 114 yards. But the fact that Tom Brady is targeting Gronkowski 17 times, I think, indicates that he has very little faith in other receivers or just the other receivers aren't open or whatever the the issue is. But uh, Danny Amendola is not coming back anytime soon, it looks like. Uh, and so he's stuck with these guys. At least Gronkowski's back, but he but Brady is stuck with Edelman, uh, Aaron Dobson, Kembrell Tompkins, who's been hot and cold. Austin Colley has saw action, a lot of action on Sunday. So this is the receiving core for New England going forward, and uh, we'll have to see if other teams are as effective as the Jets are at stopping them. But uh, the the Jets had a very good game defensively, and uh, I give them all the credit, despite. This, you know, um, penalty uh, that was called on New England to to quote unquote give the Jets the game. It didn't give the Jets the game. By the way, the Patriots started overtime with the ball, so they could have went down and scored a field goal or went down and scored a touchdown to win, but they didn't. The Jets defense held strong again, and maybe it was a questionable decision to go for that 56-yard field goal. It, it, it definitely appeared that Nick Folk was not going to make it, and you were going to give Tom Brady a great great field position but um you know that that decision to go for it turned out to be the right call because of the penalty so uh, Rex Ryan may be saved by that penalty um if anything else um he he's the one that I think maybe saved himself a lot of uh criticism because I think the New York media would have ripped him apart for going for a 56-yard field goal in overtime and missing it so maybe that should be the story rather than uh, New England loses on uh, a penalty, which, by the way, New England has been the beneficiary of calls throughout the Tom Brady era. Tuck rule, anybody? Had anybody heard of that rule before Tom Brady? And I still believe, when I look back at that replay, that that's not the tuck rule. I really do believe that's a fumble. So I know that's going to, for our, for our listeners, especially our listeners up in New England, um, perhaps... They'll be angry with, with me um, in making that statement. But I know the tuck rule is a rule, but Tom Brady was... It's 50-50 whether he was bringing that ball back into his body uh, when Charles Woodson knocked it out. So um, anyway, my point is New England is known for getting the benefit of the doubt on calls with that one. 
the all the protection that Tom Brady gets through the years uh, that I really do believe him and Peyton Manning get calls on them that other quarterbacks would not get. It's starting to get a little bit more even this year, especially this past Sunday. I saw, you know, Andrew Luck got a call uh, at the end of the Broncos game, which we didn't even talk about the Broncos, how they self-destructed with three or four personal foul penalties in the second half. One really costly one at the end of the game after they fumbled it on the five-yard line. Um, So a lot of mistakes by Denver in that one, including that personal foul, which was called right call in my mind, a little chest bump. Not much, but... It knocked down Andrew Luck, who maybe exaggerated a little, a little game gamesmanship there. But I think it was the right call, um, you know, hitting the quarterback after the the play. Why are you even close to the quarterback? So I think it was the right call. And there was another. Uh, it was actually a call that extended a drive in that Pittsburgh Raven game as well, uh, Pittsburgh Baltimore game on uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And Roethlisberger, I don't think gets uh, a ton of calls called because probably if <laughs> if they. Um, made a lot of calls on him um, or for, for hitting him late. Uh, they, I think they, what I'm trying to say is they, I think they give the defenders against Roethlisberger a little bit more leeway because it's so difficult to bring him down. So even after he's gotten rid of it, um, he, uh, he takes some punishment that I think if Brady took it, it would be a flag. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it appears to be a little bit more even, but I do think that, uh, again, right call, by the the officiating crew crew to give the Jets the, that first down and um, the Patriot fans really I don't want to hear you complain you you you've had a lot of calls go your way over the years this one one game okay it uh, it caught in a way it cost your team the game but next time don't let up 177 yards on the ground throw a touchdown pay, pass you know get Tom Brady uh, complete. of your passes, then maybe you'll win and not have to beat him, beat the Jets in overtime. All right, that's enough of that. Let's go on to the Monday night football. We don't normally cover Monday night football with our show on Monday mornings usually, but uh, I figure it's at least worth mentioning. I mean, even though this Monday night game was pretty much a a sleeper, um, I haven't gotten to watch this game yet. I was at work. um, So, you know, my, my comments on it are, are, are really limited, but overall, it just seemed like it was a really boring game. Um, Eli Manning went 23 of 39, 200 yards, and a touchdown. No interceptions for the first time this season has thrown 15. The Giants did lose a fumble, so there were um, turnovers in this game, but they bottled up Adrian Peterson, which, I, what's going on with Peterson? 13 attempts, 28 yards. That's an average of 2.2 a carry. I don't know what, why, what's going on there. I mean, the Giants weren't able to get a running game going either, but their top two running backs, David Wilson and Brandon Jacobs, are both hurt, didn't play in this game. Peyton Hillis was the starting running back for the Giants. He averaged a whopping two yards per attempt, 36 yards on 18 carries. Did score a touchdown, um, but overall, I mean, this is just a really boring game. Has there been a more boring Monday night game? Um, that I can remember. Um, a couple years ago, I'm trying to think if it, in 2011, what was it? It was the Seahawks and Rams. Yeah, I think it was Seahawks Rams, and this was before the Seahawks were any good. Uh, before they had drafted Russell Wilson, um, in December, 
I think that was just the worst Monday night game I've I've ever seen. It was late in the season, so you know there was a meaningless game, and you know this this game isn't meaningless. I mean, these two teams technically are still alive in, for the playoffs, but and these are two of the worst teams I've ever seen on on Monday Night Football. Which, um, rather than discussing this game, maybe brings up another point. Maybe they should go to a flex schedule, and um, so they avoid this stuff. I mean, they use the flex schedule for Sunday night later in the season, um, but they don't use it for Monday night football because Monday night football is is um, completely uh, planned out before the season starts. I, I guess for scheduling purposes, it's a little more difficult to move a game from Sunday afternoon to Monday night. It's not as difficult to move a Sunday night, there's a Sunday afternoon game to Sunday night because it's the same day. Um, Fans that have bought the ticket don't have to maybe skip out on work early to go to a Monday night game or whatever issues they have with that. And then, you know what, if they consider the fans, um, that's I think that's a good thing. But uh, overall, you know, I think the quality of play on Monday night football has gone down over the years. I'm not really sure why, but we've gotten a lot more of these bad teams playing on uh, on Monday night football. And I've always been an advocate of let every team play on Monday night football or get as many of the teams as possible in primetime games, which I think the NFL has a rule that with you know Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night football now, it gives every team a chance to be in at least one primetime game, which is nice. Um, I think everyone deserves that. But <laughs> I think they should put most of the... Um, bad teams on uh, Thursday night. I don't know. Thursday night football just... I watch it, but it just doesn't... hasn't. It's just not the same as a regular Sunday night game. Maybe it's because it's only three days after they just played, so it's a little bit different. Um, you know, kind of not 100%. It just doesn't seem like the, both teams are 100% into it, and Oftentimes it's like it's either Seattle versus Arizona where like it's a really good team versus a really bad team and even though they're on the road like Seattle can cakewalk through the game and win and Arizona is just not good so uh, you get a lot of games like that or um, games like a few weeks ago with Buffalo and uh, Cleveland where I mean most of the country is just not interested Um, so Anyway, that's my just little discussion about primetime games. I don't know how they would solve that because I do believe every team should have the chance to um, to play uh, in primetime. My my one solution, I guess, I would say is have more division games. You know, have Buffalo play uh, the Jets on Thursday night, or have um, you know we did have a division game just this last week with uh, Arizona and uh, Seattle. So I. I, I don't mind watching any division game, really. No matter how bad the teams are, if they're in the same division, I do think that there's somewhat of a competition or a rivalry there. A few weeks ago, we saw 49ers and Rams, which was a bad game, but it was still entertaining to watch just because uh, those two teams are in the same division. But when you get two bad teams like the Giants and Vikings, even though they're historically both good teams... Um, historically proud franchises in the NFL, uh, but just having bad seasons, underachieving seasons, really, um, it just doesn't make for a good game. If it was Vikings-Packers, which we'll actually we'll see next week on Sunday night, um, it's an exciting game, despite that maybe one team is just not good and the other one is, is good. It could be a route. I still think with the rivalry, 
um, it's a it's a good game. So that could be one way they could avoid um, some bad primetime games, but or other than the the flex scheduling. That's all I got for the second segment. We're gonna take another break and then we'll come back with our fourth and long segment. Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, search Dave's Football News. I promise I'll be flooding Dave's Football News with a lot more coverage of football than I have in uh, this past fall. I really let it go. Been a busy person. You know, so, but uh, I will be updating uh, Dave's football news soon, so um, check it out on uh, uh, if you do indeed have a Facebook. This is a part of our show where this is called the fourth and long segment, where I say a statement and I'm either going to agree and go for it on fourth and long or disagree and punt it away. So let's start off. We're going back to the AFC West. Kansas City Chiefs, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. They are 7 and 0. My statement, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, real plain and simple. And I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say no. I'm putting this away. In Yahoo's recent power rankings, which I got to look at before we went on the show today because it's Tuesday again, had the Chiefs at number six. They're 7-0. and They were number six. And last week they were number five. So they won this week. Yeah, they beat the Texans by one point. But they dropped. <laughs> they dropped a spot. And the Seahawks, Saints, Colts, Broncos, and Packers are all higher than them. And the the, the writer that, that ranked these teams believes that the 49ers, Bengals, and Patriots, who are all after the Chiefs, could also be ranked higher. So, man, not very much love for Kansas City. I understand they've played a weak schedule. I understand. I still have my doubts about Alex Smith and whether he can get it done against a team like the Broncos, which you'll have to do twice. Um, I hate to doubt Alex Smith still because he's played well, but there have been times this, this year where he just doesn't throw the ball down the field very much in a high-scoring game like against the Broncos, which they could have. You know, The Chiefs are going to have to put up some points, and they're going to have to put the ball in the air. But to put them at number six after being undefeated through seven weeks, I mean, come on, man. I, I just don't... I just don't I have a hard time believing that five teams have been playing uh, that have that have played better than Kansas City has this year. There might be on paper there's probably I mean eight or nine teams better than Kansas City on paper, but games aren't played on paper. So I mean my ult- ultimately I am agreeing that Kansas City should not be number one, but I, I think the Yahoo 
rankings that I, I saw on Tuesday just did not give Kansas City enough credit for their their great start so far far this season. I'm really interested interested to see how they're going to do against the Broncos. As I've said, I think it's going to be a high scoring affair, at least the game that's in Denver. And I have my doubts about uh, Alex Smith, but until that game, I don't see how you can't have have them higher than than five or, or six. I think they got to be in the top three until they lose a game. And then once they lose a game, maybe they fall back to six, um, unless they're like you know eleven and one. Then maybe they don't. But uh, they, they've they've I get it. They've played a weak schedule. They they beat Jacksonville. They did beat Dallas. They beat Philadelphia. They beat the Giants. Tennessee not that bad of a team. They beat them in Tennessee, beat Oakland, beat Houston. Those are their wins. So overall, very weak schedule. It doesn't get any stronger. They have Cleveland coming into Kansas City for so their third straight home game. I don't see the Browns competing at Arrowhead. Uh, and then they go up to Buffalo, which has been surpri- surprising to some people. So that could be a tough game, especially with Denver looming in the next uh, – well, they, excuse me, they have the bye in, the, in between, so never mind. They're going to play Denver off of a bye, which could be a huge advantage, actually, um, after playing Cleveland and Buffalo. They got the bye, and then they're at Denver. And This is the part of the schedule that's going to be really top, difficult for Kansas City, and that is where we're going to tell, actually, how good they are. Week 11, at Denver. Week 12, home against San Diego, who actually has been a good team so far. I think they'll win because they're at home. And then the following week, December 1st, home against Denver. I think they have to split with Denver if they expect to win this division in the AFC West. And then they got to beat, probably split with Kansas City as well. They've already beaten Oakland in Kansas City, so they have a tough... I think that, that, that game's always tough for Kansas City in Oakland. Luckily for the Chiefs, they have the Colts, who just beat the Broncos... They have the Colts coming into Kansas City, so I think that will be a game that they could win as well. Um, I, I think Kansas City is going to go undefeated at home this year, and that's going to make it very difficult for Denver to uh, to win this division. They've already lost a game. They lost uh, a conference game uh, against the Colts, so they're going to have to hope that Kansas City – I think they got to hope to beat Kansas City – and uh, Denver's got to, you know, they they got to be, I think, 14-2 and two in order to win the, the division, which means only lose one more game. And for Kansas City, definitely have the advantage. Um, they, they, you know, I, I mentioned the tough games against the Colts, two against San Diego, two against Denver. So um, I think you got to split Denver, try and sneak out a win against the Colts, and maybe split against, Kansas, uh, against San Diego, or sweep San Diego, lose to the Colts, and uh, split against Denver. Um, any of those ways, I think the the Chiefs will end up winning the division. So to answer my question, no, I do not think the Chiefs are the best team in football right now. But to be sixth, no, I think they belong in the top three of uh, a power rankings. Which actually, I plan to release my own power rankings on FootballNation.com on Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. My next statement, we're going to go over the NFC in the North. Chicago Bears lost quarterback Jake Cutler on Sunday to injury. My statement, the Bears' upcoming schedule, they have a bye this week. Couldn't have come at a better time with Jake Cutler's injury. By the way, that injury uh, is a torn groin. So he will be sidelined for a minimum of four weeks, according to uh, rotoworld.com. 
that means that he's going to miss the next three games since the Bears are on a bye this coming week. And that those games are at Green Bay, home against Detroit, and home against Baltimore. My statement, the Bears will lose two of their next three games and find themselves at 5-5 five and five come mid-November. I'm agreeing. I, I think they're going to drop two of the next three games. I think they'll lose to Green Bay, especially because it's in Green Bay. I think even if Cutler was playing, they'd probably lose that game at Green Bay. Uh, and then they've already lost to Detroit this season. Granted, it was in Detroit, but they got smoked. Uh, that'll be an interesting one with uh, Matt Stafford and uh, the Lions coming to Chicago. Uh, but then a home game against the Ravens. The Ravens have been up and down this season. They've played well at times, and other times they haven't played well or have gotten stopped by their opponent. Um, that, to me, the, the Lions and Ravens games are, are a toss-up, really. Um, but So I, I think best-case scenario, the, the Bears are 6-4 and four after uh, Jay Cutler comes back. That is, if he comes back after four weeks. Again, Roto World reported four-week minimum. Uh, so the Bears, I, I believe, at uh, at best, are six and four. But uh, Tom Pollan, I know he's a longtime listener of the show. If you disagree with me, send me a tweet, man. Uh, but I don't really see the Bears at all. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to beat Green Bay. So uh, again, best case scenario for them would to be have six wins coming into Week Twelve, which the schedule does get a little easier. That they're, they have two road games, but they're at St. Louis. At Minnesota, so even without Cutler, two games that they could are definitely winnable, and then down the stretch, very winnable games: home against Dallas, at Cleveland, at Philadelphia. Which you know, Philadelphia is another up and down team. Dallas, an up and down team, could could be wins for Chicago. Cleveland, it should be a win, but we'll see if the Browns are still alive in mid December. And then last week of the season, home against Green Bay. So I think. If Chicago can keep this together without Cutler, they could go as good as 11-5 and if they win the games that they should win. But my feeling is that they're not going to win all those games that they should win. Um, so uh, I think my, my prediction, if I was going to make a prediction for the whole season, would be around 10-6, and six, maybe 9-7, and 8-8 eight and eight area. Um, but uh, to look at just the next upcoming weeks, best case scenario, 6-4. and four. My prediction would be 5-5. Five and five. I think they'll drop two of their next three after their bye this coming week. Staying in the NFC with a team that we just mentioned, the Dallas Cowboys. Now, yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles played really bad, but the Cowboys get a big win, uh, defeating the Philadelphia Eagles 17-3 on Sunday. My statement, without DeMarcus Ware and DeMarco Murray... Man, I never realized how close those two first names are. Without Ware and Murray in the lineup for who knows how long, an extended period of time, the Cowboys are still my pick to win the NFC East. And I'm going to agree with that as well. I'm going to grunt on fourth down. Uh, with With the Lions, Vikings, and Saints upcoming, Saints are going to be a tough game, but then you got the Giants, Raiders, and Bears. I think the the Cowboys... Probably going to finish around 9-7. and seven. Uh, Going to drop some games that they probably shouldn't. I mean, at Detroit is a tough one this week. Home against Minnesota should be a win. At New Orleans, I mean, pretty much I think that's going to be a loss. In New York, who knows what the Giants will be doing in mid-November. Um, but those are the next four four weeks 
before um, well the next four weeks for the Cowboys with a with a bye mixed in. So the next five weeks. Uh, so, but with the, the status of this division, unless the Redskins make another run for it late in the season, which I guess they could do. Um, but again, the Redskins swept the Cowboys last year, which really helped them out. They had a great division record. The Redskins have already lost to the Eagles and the Cowboys this season. It's it's going to be difficult, really, to see the Giants or the Redskins, or now, really, even the Eagles making a run at it. By default, it kind of falls on the Cowboys. Uh, I don't see them winning uh, a playoff game, but I do think that they could... Um, make some noise in the regular season. And if they get their act together, this is a team that's on, that on paper could be uh, a threat in the playoffs. But until Tony Romo proves that he can play well in a big game, um, other than, you know, the Bronco game. Um, and, and again, I mean, people argue that he didn't, didn't come up big in the big moment. Um, you, you have to have your doubts about the Cowboys in the playoffs. But in terms of winning the NFC East, I think it's, it's falling to the Cowboys Unless we see a miracle run by the Giants or Redskins, I don't think the Eagles are going to do it. Um, you, you you expect the Cowboys to win to win that division. So that about wraps up our fourth and long segment. We'll take one more break. Here's the third part of Pink Floyd's "Another Brick in the Wall," and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. Back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host, once again, Dave Holcomb. Here are three articles that you should check out on Football Nation this week. Elijah Twerksey names five deals that should happen here at the NFL trade deadline that is coming up very quickly. I'm not going to mention any of those trades, but his slideshow has already reached 34,000 views and nine comments. So I'm sure Elijah will appreciate more reads. And if you care to, leave a comment. Really great stuff there uh, in that slideshow. So that's a good one you should check out. John Quinn agrees with me in the fact that we saw maybe the worst Monday night football matchup ever on Monday with uh, the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Giants. Check out his piece for the five reasons explaining why it was the worst Monday night football matchup ever. And Michael Quinn, we the other Quinn, PJ, uh, we, we brought him on the show earlier in the season and uh, to talk about the Eagles. Uh, he talked about in his latest argue, all of the superstars that are out for the season. A lot of injuries happened over the weekend. We didn't even really touch upon them. We touched upon, uh, upon Jay Cutler, who um, hopefully is going to come back, but guys like Sam Bradford, Doug Martin, Jermichael Finley, Reggie Wayne, uh, and uh, Brian Cushing are the five, uh, six guys now, I guess, that PJ uh, mentioned, but there's a ton of other guys um, that are out for extended periods of time. Uh, Doug Martin hopefully is going to come back, uh, um, but uh, some reports say that he could miss the rest of the season. So definitely check out PJ's article and uh, at least, if not, get up to date on the NFL injury bug. At least get caught up on it because of uh, your fantasy teams. So those are the three articles that I think are the best out there right now. But there's a ton of stuff out there on footballnation.com, including uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. 
live radio show for uh, between Bill Enright and Todd DeFries. Great stuff. They uh, help you out with your fantasy teams and discuss just NFL stuff in particular, all NFL stuff really in particular. So um, definitely check out that show that is live every Tuesday and Thursday, 12 to 2. You can also uh, listen to it on Rewind um, or, you know, the, listen to it as if you're listening to this, like on a podcast on uh, footballnation.com. I mentioned that I was going to explain why uh, my busy schedule uh, prevented me from making the show come out on Monday again this week. Um, I don't know if I mentioned earlier in the season, but I, I'm now working, actually getting paid. I don't get paid to do this podcast, unfortunately, but I get paid to cover girls' soccer in the state of New Jersey. So actually, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I know uh, Tom Pollan uh, commented last Sunday that I was covering girls' soccer rather than watching football. Uh, I was covering a Morris County uh, quarterfinals last last week uh, in girls' soccer, and this past Sunday it was semifinals. Next Sunday night, unfortunately, I'll miss Sunday night football to cover um, the the finals in Union County girls' soccer. So, uh, I anyway, I'm working for uh, the Star Ledger, a newspaper here in New Jersey, covering uh, high school sports. So it's been a busy time for me, a busy month trying to watch as much football and consume as much football as possible and in addition to watching baseball playoffs I'm a big baseball guy so I apologize again for having the show come out a day late and thank you for your patience um, in, uh, in still listening to the show despite the fact that sometimes it comes out a little bit later on Mondays haven't been doing a great job of getting it out on Monday morning um, and this week of course coming out on Tuesday by the time it gets up probably Tuesday afternoon so um, thank you for your patience I think it's better to have it come out on a Tuesday, even though it doesn't make sense with our title of the show. I think it'd be better to come out on a Tuesday, uh, some random week, rather than producing uh, a bad show very quickly, just so it could come out on a Monday. I think we had another great show today, so uh, hopefully we can get back to that Monday morning schedule. But thank you again to our listeners for all of your patience. Without you, I would uh, have no reason really to do the show. So that's all we have for today. Don't forget to check out all that other great stuff on footballnation.com. I'll have some new stuff coming out this week, hopefully, if I'm not too busy. Cooper and Allen, Cooper, Cooper Allen and I uh, do a first and ten piece every single week. Uh, definitely make sure you check that out along with everything else on Football Nation. Enjoy your week, everybody, and we'll see you back next week. In the meantime, I'll go and try to find some peace in my mind. <laughs>